Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And I'm going to back up just a couple verses from what's there in your bulletin. We'll start at verse 13 this morning in Acts 17, and I'll read down through the end of the chapter. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of the heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things." And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, as we have been studying the book of Acts, 
we've seen how God has sovereignly overseen the expansion, if you would, of the revealing of his mystery, and that is the church. And that specifically now on Paul's second, quote-unquote, missionary journey, um, that the gospel now is spreading from Asia into and through Eurasia, what we refer to today as Eurasia, which was Asia Minor, which is really Turkey, okay? And that, that God was using Paul and Silas then to, to, to move it forward. And if you remember, Paul wanted to, to go down then into the province of Asia, and then when he couldn't go there, over to Bithynia. And so the idea is just sticking in this area. But God had another plan, so God was pushing him forward into what we refer to as the continent of Asia, or I'm sorry, Asia, Europe, okay? So they go from Eurasia, and God's pushing them up into Europe by going into the, the province of Macedonia, and they go to the chief city of Philippi. But from there, Paul, for whatever reasons, again, we're not told <clears throat> at this moment, now turns south and heads into the, the province of uh, the Ionian, uh, come on, Bob, Peninsula, thank you. The Ionian Peninsula. I even have it on your piece of paper. Okay? And, uh, but the Ionian Peninsula. And he goes to Thessalonica in Berea. And uh, when he's in Berea, as we saw last week, week, the Jews from Thessalonica came down and they caused trouble for him there. And at this moment, you need to kind of think about the fact, well, let, let's finish this thought process out. From, he's going to go to Athens. And so I want to bring this now. We talked about this last week, how far he went, right? So now we bring, bring that all in, and so now our journey's a little bit further, right? So he's gone over 1,100 miles on foot, and now he's going to take a journey by boat. But this journey by boat, he's taken to Athens. And so what I want to think about is, as well as we go into this, the reasons why, because um, there's a good foundation and understanding here, why is it that Paul is being sent to Athens? Why, why is it all of a sudden... They put him on a boat, and they send him to Athens. And then Paul and si or Timothy and Silas leave, and they're going to rejoin him later. There's a lot of understanding, a lot of belief that Paul was wiped out from this ministry. He's just spent, again, months. Do you remember we talked about this? That if you, if you walk just eight miles, or eight, eight miles, three miles an hour for eight miles a day, or eight hours a day, sorry, three miles an hour, eight hours a day, that 1,100 miles would take you at least 48 days, okay? So three miles an hour is a good clip. So in other words, it's spending months, months just of walking, and we know that he spent time in each one of these places where he's ministering, and in each one he's ministering, he's putting out a lot of emotional energy, not to mention the fact that some of the places he's being what? He's being beaten up, okay? So behind the scenes... I believe, I can't, I can't prove this necessarily from this passage, but we can look at other passages from 2 Corinthians and stuff where Paul talks about all the things that he went through. There's a spiritual war going on, okay? I mean, we're looking at the physical side of what's been happening, but behind the scenes, there's a spiritual war that's going on because Satan doesn't want the gospel being spread out either. And I can just tell you that, that um, Wednesdays are rough days for me because we're getting ready to go knock on doors. There's part of me that wants to pray for rain. I mean, I've shared it in passing. And you laugh, but again, it's not my, 
I, I am not an extrovert, and I'm not an evangelist, okay? So that's not the thing that I yearn. I, do, I don't wake up on Wednesday morning saying, I get to go meet people I don't know, you know, and, I, and all that kind of it's, it's more of a challenge for me, okay? And so, so through the day, there's this, I, I have this feeling of despondency a lot of times, you know? Like, I just don't, I don't care. I don't want to be there. And I recognize the fact that it's a, there's a spiritual war that's going on. Saturdays into Sunday morning are hard times at my house. Not that we fight all the time, but we know that if there's going to be battles, it's Saturday and Sunday morning because you're getting ready to serve. Who are you to stand up and serve after you've just been crude or rude with your wife? Who are you to stand up when, you're, when your household's not in order? You know what the Bible says about your household not being in order. The household's not, you know, and so you have these battles going on. And so you got all these physical battles going on with Paul, and I'm sure that he has all this mental battle that was going on. Who is he? I mean, he's the persecutor of the church. Who is he to go forth and to, to tell people about all these things? And so there's a point where he's going to Athens for some, quote-unquote, R&R. Okay, what well, we refer to R&R. I don't know about the recreation side, the relaxation and recreation, but if you took that term from the concept of recreation, there's that concept where you're going and you're just being recreated by God. Okay? And so... So, so they travel down there, but as we're going to see, he can't do it. And so as, as Chuck read, here we go, yeah, Chuck read, as he gets into Athens, right, what happens? His spirit's provoked. Now he's walking around the city, and he's seeing all these false idols. If you... Love Christ. I'm going to make a bold statement, okay? And this is, understand I'm looking in the mirror on this one, okay? But if you love Christ, if he is the foremost of your mind, if God in his kingdom, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and this is really, you can't help but look at the world and grieve. And you can't help but look at people and understand that they have an eternal need. So if you're living in the world, I mean, you just can't live in the world. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if you're just content in the world and, and everything about the world is great to you, not political, I'm not talking about politics and so that you're a conservative or you're, you're a liberal and, and you're worrying about, the, I'm not talking about the physical plane, I'm talking about the spiritual plane. If you can just kind of hang out on the earth and enjoy it, and you're not grieved at all by what's going on, I think you've got to check yourself a little bit with your discipleship with Jesus. Okay? Just, what do, you, what do you want in this earth? Paul gives us this understanding. He's in Athens. He needs a little rest. He needs a little relaxation. He needs a little recreating going on. But God takes this guy, and when you're weak, what? He's made strong. And he looks at Athens, and he sees all the idols. I can't imagine what uh, um, Pat and, oh, my brain, my brain, Arouge, Arouge and Pat see right now in Bangkok, you know, with all the idols and stuff like that. We don't have it here, but we do. We do. We just have to have our eyes opened. Paul has them physically open. I mean, there he is, right? And he is grieved. And so you can see the word that he's provoked Okay, the paraxuna, 
Okay, and so it means literally to sharpen alongside. That as he is going through the city, I mean, he's just like he's being honed, like it's being sharpened, like it's like I can't. Oh, you know, this is awful. These people, they don't know, they don't understand. And I think of Romans ten. How they will they? How will they hear? Unless what? Somebody is sent. Unless somebody does what? Opens her mouth up and speaks. And so I can see Paul there. How can I what? How can I sit around and be silent and say nothing? How can I sit around and say nothing? How can I look at these people who are so full, full in their ignorance? Agnostics. Literally, the word agnao in the, in the Greek is to be without knowledge. And so these ones that are ignorant, they're, they're called ignorant and stuff like that. It's not a negative term. It just literally means they are without knowledge. And so he's looking at these people who have not the knowledge of God. He's not looking at them as pagans who deserve to go to hell. He's looking at people who are going to go to hell because they have no knowledge. And he's standing there amongst them as one what? Who has the knowledge. Can you imagine being the doctor who has the cure for the bubonic plague in a city of people dying of the bubonic plague and saying to yourself, but I'm here for R&R. So let them do what they're going to do. Let them deal with what they've got to deal with. I just need some rest. I'm going to go to the beach. Do you get it? That's just on the physical plane. So here's Paul. These people are dying. They've got a plague worse than a bubonic plague. They're dying and they're going to hell. And he's got better than a cure for the bubonic plague. He got the word of life. He says, I can't do it. So he's provoked to this part where he just sees it and he says, I got to do something. So he does. So he began, he begins where? Where does he always begin? In a synagogue. So he does the same thing. He begins here and we're told that presentation-wise, he goes first of all to the, the synagogue. And he does there what we talked about last week. I'm not going to preach through the same message, right? But he does in the synagogue the same thing that he does, okay? And he's going to present Jesus Christ and him crucified, but also him resurrected, okay? So he presents Jesus Christ as the Messiah, that he, was, he died for the sins of the world, but that he was raised from the dead in order to validate um, everything that he had done. So he goes and he, and, he, and he proclaims. And we're told specifically it's with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, okay? So when he's there... This what I want you to understand as well that what we're going to see is that Paul is going to vary his approach a little bit, um, how he's going to witness. And so in Sunday school, we talked a little bit today about we have the rational approach of evangelism and you have the suppositional approach of evangelism. Suppositional approach is very specifically that you believe the Word of God to be true and so you evangelize people with the Word of God. Forty years ago, 40 years ago in this, in this country, it had been the way to go. You used a suppositional approach because still, even still 40 years ago, 
people still had a recognition. Well, here I am 40 years ago. That's only in the 80s. I might have to go back 60 years into the 60s, okay? And so there was still this concept and understanding of a God, even though for a generation until that point from the 20s to the 60s, we've been teaching the children that there is no creator, there is no, um, there is no God, that we're, we've evolved into a being. And that's why in the 60s we take prayer and Bible reading out of schools because we just told a generation that the Bible is, a, a, is full of book, is full of myths. And so, so we take prayer and Bible reading out of the schools. It makes no wonder. And then a generation later, in the 2000s, what do we have? We have kids killing kids. We have abortion on demand. And so now, even a half a generation further into that, read Romans chapter 1 and all the things that are the decadence that's going on in our land because we're in a nation now that knows not God. Okay? But back then, there was still a nation that had a little semblance of God, and you could quote Scripture to people, and they might very well accept the authority of that. Well, Paul, he goes to the synagogue with a bunch of worshipers of God. So what approach is he going to talk about? Presuppositional approach. He's going to talk from the scriptures. He's going to talk about Messiah and how Messiah fulfilled all these, all these prophecies, right? Because it makes sense. That's what they believe. It's okay. He doesn't have to worry about talking about nature and all these other kind of stuff. He goes straight from the scripture. So that's what he shares. So the next place we see then, now he doesn't stop because he's so grieved He's going to do exactly what we saw him do in Philippi as well, that he's also, we weren't specifically told this, but, but we believe that he probably was doing it um, in preaching in the marketplace because that's where probably he saw this woman who was following after him saying, listen to these guys because they're proclaiming the truth. And he turns around and he casts the demon out, right? And then they're immediately arrested and they're thrown into jail, okay? But that probably all happened in the marketplace too. The marketplace is where you want to be. That's one of the reasons why um, we have all the podcasts that we have. And again, if you're not familiar with it, we have a podcast list back there. Okay, and we're handing that out. We're on Amazon, Audible. Um, I'm not going to remember them all. Um, iTunes, Google, um, Pandora, Stitcher, Spotify. I mean, just all of them. Why? Because that's the marketplace. That's where people are going to stumble upon the word. It's also free. It's kind of good too, right? Okay? And so freely, we can put the messages out there and, and not have to worry about it. God uses people to stumble. And for those who are new, and we have shared this in the past, it's just an amazing thing to me that I haven't checked this recently, so this is as of two months ago. It was still true. We have 1,000 to 1,200 people every day listening to messages from this little church. Isn't that nuts? So that's people who are spending at least 15 minutes or more on our website. Now, either on our website or linking to our website. So that's not the ones that are below that. So if people are coming onto Spotify or Audible or Amazon or one of those other places and they're downloading messages to listen later and they're not streaming those messages, that's not even an account because that, that takes just less than five minutes for them to download a message. Okay? So the only ones that are, can be counted in that, spending 15 minutes or more, so you go 15 minutes to half an hour, half an hour to an hour, an hour plus. Right? So all those are included in that. 1,000 to 1,200 people a day. A day. Isn't that nuts? I mean, we don't have that many people here, so I can't just say, oh, it's just church members. Okay? I mean, you know, I'd like to do that. But I know, like looking years ago at Spotify, that the, the series that we did on the Revelation down in Australia, it was being hit massively. The series that we did on knowing God in Singapore, I think it was, was being hit massively. 
the marketplace is where you want to be because you're going to meet people randomly. And that's exactly what we read, that Paul got to talk to whoever just happened to be there, right? And so he says, um, in a marketplace with those who what? Happened to be there. I don't know who's going to be there. But I laugh and I joke about this because you know that I am opposed to the strong Calvinistic position, right? But I love to say the fact that I am more of a Calvinist practically than a lot of Calvinists are because I believe in the sovereignty of God. And so when it says, with those who happen to be there, I know God does what? He happens to send them there. That's exactly right. And I don't know how he does it. I don't care how he does it. Some water, some sow. God gives the increase. But you can't happen to meet the people if you don't happen to be there. Does that make sense? If you happen to be sitting in your house, you're not going to happen to meet them. And when God does happen to send them to your door, i.e. Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, if you happen to close the door on them or not even answer the door, you don't happen to talk to them. Are you tracking where I'm going with this? You've got to put yourself in a place where you can talk to people, and then you have to be willing to talk to them. Again, I'm the introvert. Okay? It's not... So yesterday was a wipeout day for me, having people all day. I had fun. I had a blast. But even when I went down the, the, the what do I call it, the slide thing, I didn't want to go down the slide thing. But there was a bunch of little kids there, and I said, right, Jesse? You were there. Yeah. And I said, I got to do this for all those little kids. So I ripped off my shoes and said, here we go, and running up the, the slide. Okay? You do things because you want God to use you even if they're outside of your comfort zone. You track where I'm going with this one? Paul was tired. Paul was tired. But he went where people were, and he opened up his mouth, and he proclaimed it. And we know that he had to be proclaiming it, and what he must have been proclaiming, because the next section we're going to get into, the Areopagus, okay, the Areopagus, we read about the philosophers, right, they see him there. And so he must be just opening his mouth up and declaring it. Maybe he has conversations with people. Maybe he's proclaiming it loudly. I don't know. But it's to such a point that the philosophers who happen to be in the marketplace overhear him. They witness it. And it's getting their attention. And so we heard, it says, the philosopher stated that is what they heard. It must have been in the marketplace, that he must have been preaching Jesus in the resurrection. His message is still the same. His methods change, but his message what? Doesn't change. The message stays the same. Methods to get to the message may change, but the message doesn't change. And then we read, as we transition here, that it may be that the philosophers thought that Jesus, you probably wonder what these words are, Jesus and Anastasia were the foreign gods, for the gods usually came in pairs, male and female. Well, what's Jesus and Anastasia? That's Jesus and the resurrection. Those are the Greek words, Jesus and Anastasia. Because when we see him come into the Areopagus, the Areopagus, right, they're going to say, this guy is talking about other foreign gods. 
Well, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Yesu, and he's referring to Anastasia. Not my daughter, but the resurrection, right? But what they're hearing is these words. And they're saying, who are these gods? We haven't heard of these gods before because they're in the gods. Make sense? They're, they're good with all the gods. They have a whole little ecumenicalism of gods thing going on, okay? So let's hear about these other gods you got. So that leads us to then the Areopagus. Now, why am I saying Areopagus rather than Areopagus? Because Areopagus is really how you'd say it. Because it's two words brought together. It's Ares, the god Ares, the god of war, okay? And Pagus, which is actually not the word for hill, but the word for ice, okay? Well, how does it come about? Well, think about a mountaintop. And when you have a mountain, at the top of the mountain you have what? An ice cap, okay? So that's how it comes about. And you can see then... What does that, the Areopagus look like? Like an ice cap, okay? And so that's it, and you can see over on this side, there's a ladder here that you have to climb to get up onto it, okay? And then the people on top of it. So that kind of gives you a visual of why it's called what it's called, okay? But the important part about it, then, is the, that's where this formal council of philosophers and such would meet. Think Sanhedrin, so think Jewish, You'd have your, your, um, your Pharisees and your Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, coming together. And though they weren't the governing body of the, of the land, they did govern. Because it was, and so think about, I'm talking about Sanhedrin. So they didn't make the rules, but they set the cultural tone for the country. And so many things that they determined, even the Roman leaders would kind of bow to because they wanted to keep the peace of the people. Well, this group, okay, they set the cultural governmental tone, if you would, of the land. They determined the wisdom that Greece would continue to put out. Even when Rome beat Greeks, they kept their culture because Rome wasn't very cultured. And so they kept the culture of Greece. So this group of guys are, are the ones that if you want to influence the world culture, these are the guys you're going to talk to. And so think about this. As Paul's going forth in through all this, he's dealing with multiple different worldviews. He started at the synagogue, right? What was their worldview? There's a creator God. It's Jewish. Okay? There's a... There's, a, there's a, a creator God and that kind of stuff. And so he can talk about the creator God and he can do these kind of things. And so he's going to deal with them. What? He goes in the marketplace. What does he have? He's got a whole smattering of stuff, right? Because you're going to have some of those Jews in every other place all being in there. But now he's in the area of Pegasus, the Areopagus. What does he have? Pagans. He's got, I mean, and I don't mean that rudely. He's got guys who believe in gods. Okay? He doesn't have ones who believe in the creator God. He just has a bunch of people who believe in all different gods. Yeah. And so now he's got to kind of change his approach a little bit. Because now he does this thing called his introduction. And it's going to be when you evangelize the same concept. You're going to have to try to find something in common with people as you go to teach them. Right? Bring them from point A to point B. And you're bringing from point A to point B maybe a little bit longer than it is that Paul took, but Paul knows he only has a little bit of time. 
right? He's brought before this crowd. They're not going to be standing there for five hours while he goes through his, his transitional moment, right? Let me bring you from back here to here. So he's only got a, a few moments to do that. But, so the first thing he does, though, okay, is he's going to do his transition. Oh, and I don't want to forget that last little point I have up here. And that is Paul was forcibly brought there. The words that are used there is that he was taken and brought. It wasn't like he was invited to come. He was taken and brought. So I think the philosophers see him. Again, think about who these philosophers are. They're the ones who are guiding and directing all the cultural, you know, religious teachings that are going to go on. And so now you got this babbler, what's he's called, right? He's, what's this babbler talking about? So they got this babbler who's babbling about what? Jesus and the resurrection. These other gods, these foreign gods, something that they don't know about. And they have to be, if you would, whether you, we don't get it sometimes, a defender of the belief structures. And so they bring him into the Areopagus. I don't know whether they were planning on meeting or whether this is a special meeting. Tell us what, this, what you're talking about. I mean, because what's going to happen if they don't agree with what he, what he talks about? What are they going to try to do? Silence him. Shut him down. Stop him. Does this sound like, like what goes on in the world today? Amen. And we haven't even seen the beginning of it yet. I mean, think about it, okay? It's going that way, okay? And so I think it's important for us to understand that, that we have thought police today. In England, many of you people have heard of this, but recently there have been two people arrested for praying silently. Praying silently on a street corner because they happen to be near the abortion clinic. For real. This is for real. Go check me out on this. Okay? They came up, and I'm going to pick up Brian. Sir, are you praying? And the guy answered, yes, I am. Immediately he's arrested. They believe in the power of prayer. <laughs> Say that again? <laughs> they believe in the power of prayer? Yeah. How sad is this, though? This is England. Okay? And so, and from what I was told, I haven't verified this that it's already happened in, in Canada as well. So I don't know. Do you know that? Okay. And so, it's coming, y'all. Thought police is coming. Okay? We see it on social media, but it's come to the place where even now they're going to control other things. Okay? And so, so how do you talk to people then who have no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of the Creator God? Well, what does Paul do? Right off the bat on his introduction, okay? For his message, his introduction, the first thing he talks about is he tries to give them a compliment. It's not an extremely good compliment, but it's a compliment from the perspective of this that he's talking about how religious they are. But he's really talking about how superstitious they are and how they have such a fear of demons. So I brought this word out and broke it down for you. So the esteros, okay, is a comparative term. And so he's talking about like like doing this. In Greek, it's kind of fun. You can have a whole thought process going on in one word, okay? But you can see right here, this is the word for demon, okay? And they have, you're terrified of demons. It's really what he's saying, okay? We have it, you're very religious. The religious word for religious is the word sabbatos, okay? And so 
you have Sabbatia and that, that kind of stuff, so the, the, the things that are there. So if he was, and you can check this out, okay, do word search on it. So if you, if you wanted to talk about somebody being religious, you'd use the word sabbatos, okay? You wouldn't use this other word. It's one of the only times it's ever used, okay? He's literally saying, you guys are terrified of demons. You're terrified of your gods. And we know from 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says behind every one of these idols is a demon. So that's what he's basically saying. You're terrified of demons. You're so worried about having an idol to everything. In fact, that's why you brought me in here, because you want to find out about this Jesus and Anastasia thing. You don't know what I didn't Jesus and Anastasia, so you're bringing me in because you want to find out about these foreign gods that maybe you don't know. Maybe you ought to have an idol to them too, just in case. In fact, you even have an idol too. The unknown God. But I got some good news for you. I know him. What a transition. Isn't it great? You know, you got all these gods. This is all wonderful. You're, 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 you're looking at all these things, but you're really, it's just a matter that you're in fear. You're in fear. That's good. You are in fear, but you're afraid of all these gods that you're worrying about having an idol to everything. You even got one to the unknown God just to make sure that you got it all covered. But I got good news for you. I know that unknown God. And that's why I've been sent here. Pretty neat transition, right? I'm sure he got their attention at that moment. Whoa, he knows this unknown God. What does he have to say, right? Well, it doesn't take him long to change their attitude, right? So we get into his instruction. So what's he going to tell them about this unknown God? Because he's already established now something in common with them. They believe in a deity. Does it make sense? They don't necessarily believe in the one true God. But the thing that he's brought in common with them is the fact that they believe that there's something supernatural. Okay? And so what does he say about it? Well, first thing he says, verse 24, is that this unknown God that you have this idol to, that I know, he's the creator. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? Therefore, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's made everything. So you making an idol for him, it's pointless. It's goofy. He, doesn't even, he can't even dwell in a temple. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Because Paul is what? What nationality? He's Jewish. Ultimately, he's going to be referring to the Jewish God, Yahweh, in what did exist in Jerusalem, the temple. Now, I don't believe this is in 70 AD, right? So therefore, the temple what? It's still there. So what he is declaring is an anti-Jewish statement. Now, they would understand that God really doesn't dwell there, but they still called it the what? The house of God. The house of God. This is the house of Yahweh. This is where, his, where he dwells. That's what they would state. And so Paul is stating something that is beyond Jewishness now. Okay? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Therefore, he does not dwell in a house made with hands. Nor, verse 25, is he then worshipped with men's hands. Why? Because he is the one who gives life. You all are worshiping something 
that you have given life to. You've made him, made it, whatever, this idol, with your hands. You've made it in the fashion and the form which you have believed in it. So a temple to Zeus, a temple to the Aphrodite, uh, I mean, um, an idol, right? The forms that are going to be made on it are going to be forms by which an artist or an individual has declared. Are you tracking? Okay. And so Paul says, mm -mm, it doesn't work that way. It's God who gives you life, breath, and what? What's included in all things? All things. Good job, Steve. That's exactly right. All things. That's exactly right. I mean, he gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you everything. Did you drink water today? Did you eat some food today? It's because that God gave it to you. You wouldn't have the water if that one true God hadn't given you water, the creator God who made the heavens and the earth. You wouldn't have the, the wheat. You wouldn't have the ability to, to have the, the, the crops that you have if that one true God hadn't created the initial wheat stock with the, the um, berries on it that are going to come and you can plant the seeds that you can plant again to get more wheat. Did you ever think about all those things that are involved in creation that God just spoke into being? It's just phenomenal to me. The beauty, the intricacy of God's creation. That's what Paul, in a nutshell, is trying to, to bring out to these guys. Just real quickly, just real briefly. If you've ever talked to an agnostic or an atheist today, you'll understand the plight that, that Paul's in right now. He's not just one-on-one -on -one talking to somebody. He's in a crowd of them. Okay? And so you can all, almost imagine, because at the end, the, the response that he's going to have but you can almost imagine standing there, even as he's talking at this part, there's going to be guys who are doing what? Yeah, gnashing their teeth or shaking their head or looking at them like, you are an idiot. But he's plugging forward. He's plugging forward, right? And he's just presenting, 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 presenting truth. So what else is he? He's the one who made from one blood every nation. We talked about this this morning as well as evidence for the word of God being true. This would have been disputed over and over and over again. And then they have the Genome Project, right? And the end result of the Genome Project is that all humanity had to have come from one woman who they named Eve. Huh, wonder where they got that. They prove the veracity of the word of God every time they try to disprove it. So Paul, a couple thousand years ago, in his ignorance, not, yeah, that's right, not, is declaring that this creator God who created the heavens and the earth made all nations from one blood. From one blood. It's kind of fun. You can even bring that even further from, than from Eve, right? They all had to be a product of Noah and his wife, too. Yeah, kind of fun, yeah? So, so a lot of fun. So, so all those things are true, right? But now the part that gets a little bit 
eh, on our side. All came from Adam. Men did not originate as the offspring of gods or animals. God what? Predetermined the times and boundaries of the nations. God predetermined, and it means exactly what it says. He predetermined the times and the boundaries of the nations. I would encourage you at some point, if you have extra time and you like history, to study Egyptian dynasties. It's kind of fun. Um, specifically with, I wonder where Joseph's at in it. I've done it. He's there. It's really, you can find, you, you'll see him. It's so clear. The, the, the whole monotheism that comes in involved within the dynasties. And then all of a sudden there's this administrator who had brought this monotheism in. And then there rises a pharaoh who doesn't like that. He wants to go back to the, to the, to the false gods. And he begins to um, try to strike out the administrator from everything. I don't think Joseph was dead when you read Exodus 1, there rose a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. He's still alive. And so if you read Exodus 50, there's already persecution going on because that's why Joseph says, God will surely deliver you. When, when he does deliver you, take my bones with you. Persecution is already going, going on. And it mashes perfectly with when you, when you study the Egyptian dynasties. Anyways, a lot of fun. Again, people try to disprove the Bible. All they do is what? Prove the Bible, okay? God's word is there. But God established the Egyptian dynasty. How does that make you feel? God established Iraq, Iran, Japan, Germany, Russia. Just keep throwing the words in there. It doesn't really matter. Put one in there that you don't like. Hitler. <gasps> Did he say that? He said that. Do you think it took God by surprise that Adolf Hitler became a world ruler? Do you think it took God by surprise that Adolf Hitler did the Holocaust? I, I get where I'm going and what I'm saying. I mean, I understand the, the weight of what I'm saying, and I'm not taking it lightly. But again, my God is big as sovereign. And he's declared it. He takes credit for it. He's the God who told Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites. That was Yahweh. I believe Yahweh became incarnate. And his name on earth was Jesus. It's still my God. I don't have two gods. I don't have a God of the Old Testament, who is a God of wrath and anger, and a God of the New Testament, who is a God of love and grace. It's all one and the same God. That's hard for us on our end to deal with and accept. How does it play out? I don't know. I don't have to worry about it. I can read the book of Revelation, and I know that God's not done doing what? Establishing the times and boundaries. He's still at it. Behind the scenes, he is still the one who is focusing things. And straight up, on my end of it, I think the United States does play into it. If I'm right with some of my stuff, and I'm not going to go into it right now. But I see, a, I see an end for us. 
I see us being just sucked right into the, 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 the whole international, um, what do you call it, just orb of it all. Does it bother me? Yeah. But no. Because God's still what? He's still in control. That's exactly right. And it's not for me to worry about. I rejoice in the fact that I know truth. I know the one who formed the truth. And I can stand boldly like Paul and proclaim these things, even if people don't what? Believe it and accept it. Paul explained it. He put it right out there. But God did it. This is so exciting for me. And then we get into this next verse 27, right? Why did God do this? In order that they should grope for and find him. In order that God did it for a reason. Redemptive. God's plan has always been the redemption of man from the get-go. And he even ordered the nations in such a way that people would turn to him for truth. And look what verse 27 then says. And he is not far from each one of us. Paul wasn't talking about he and Timothy and Silas. Paul wasn't talking about he and other Jews. He's the only believer, theoretically, standing in this ensemble of philosophers and he's telling them this statement. Do you know other than sealing believers, what's the purpose of God sending the Holy Spirit into the world? It's threefold. To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Do you get it? The Holy Spirit is working in every single individual on the face of the earth. God is near to every single individual, and he's calling them. That's what I take it. Do I understand how it all plays out? I don't. I don't, I don't again, it's above my pay grade. I don't have to worry about it. But what I do know is that God isn't far from any single individual that God is making himself known in some manner to every single person. All they have to do is say yes instead of saying no. But we say no. No, no, no. Because in order to say yes, it means i got to surrender. i got to be humble. i got to do what God wants. We know that. Inherently, we just know it. And I'd rather do what I want. Why is it a wonder that the world thinks that way when as believers we struggle with it too? What a wonderful statement to tell somebody. Do you realize that God is with you? I mean, it's one of the reasons why we're having this conversation right now. Because God wants you to know the truth. And I don't say this pridefully, but this is humbly. I really mean this humbly. That God has brought me here so that you could hear this. So you could be presented with this truth. So please read this track. I mean, I may not have the opportunity to talk to somebody. I'm gonna, can I leave you just with one verse? I've done this a lot, Steve, right? Can I just leave you with one verse before we leave? Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Pray that you find them. You know, and walk away. And maybe all I get to ever say to that person. But God gave you an opportunity by bringing me in your path today. That sounds prideful. It's not, I don't mean it prideful. 
but that's who God wants us to be. I've got to keep moving. So he's not far from each one of us. Oh, there we go. Thank you. He is not made of gold, silver, or stone. He's not shaped with the hands of men, since we are his offspring, made in his image and likeness. Now, he didn't say all that, but does even your poets understand this, that, that you're the offspring? So if we're his offspring, why are you making idols like this? You've got to know you're a spirit being. He's not contained in this thing. And so understand Gnosticism. I don't have time to get into Gnosticism right now. They understood even via Gnosticism of the spiritual side of things and that there was a spiritual realm, okay? And so that's what he's, he's appealing to, what they already understood, okay? He says, he's not made then with silver, gold, all this kind of stuff. Stop it. Stop it. Understand who the true God is. So then he gets into then the plan of God, which is very, again, the message of salvation, right? So he makes this path with them. He talks to them about what's going on. Talks them about the true God, lays the foundation of the true God. And now he wants them to know what God's plan is. First of all, they need to change the way they think. It's the same message as you're going to share today. It doesn't matter how you got to this point with this individual, but this is the same message. Every single individual needs to change the way they think. That's what Jesus' message was when he was on the earth. That's what John the Baptist's message was when he was on the earth. That's what Paul's message is. That's what Peter's message is. Repent. Repent. Metanoia. Change the way you think. You used to think this way, but now you got to change. This is a huge thing. you got people who believe in what? Lots of gods, right? Now they got to change the way they think. And they got to now turn around and believe that there's only one true God. Not just add him to your pantheon. you got to worry about that when you go to India and places like that where they have a pantheon of gods because they want to just add Jesus to it. You can't just add Jesus to it. So you need to re repent, okay? God is willing to overlook your past ignorance. Isn't that kind of cool? All those things that you've done in the past, God's willing to overlook them. He's paid for them. He died on the cross. And so he tells these nations, he tells these people, look, all this that was done in the past, God's willing to overlook. But now he's brought redemption. Jesus, he came himself, died on the cross, and now you only have one way. You only have one way before, too. It was faith in the true God. But it's very clear now that he's made it this way. Why? Because, again, as we just said, with the Holy Spirit coming and convicting, because God's going to do what? He's going to judge the world. And he's going to judge the world according to his righteousness. What is right according to his eyes, not what's right according to your eyes, O Areopagus, Stoics, and Epicureans. It doesn't matter what you think of in your wisdom. It doesn't matter what you think of in your, all your knowledge. The only thing that really matters is what God says. You can say you don't believe in gravity. Go take a walk off the end of the roof, and you're going to find out it's real, right? Well, one day you're going to die, and guess what you're going to find out? God is real. He's going to judge the world. The oikomeno is the inhabited world. So he says the world there, it's not the, world, not the word cosmos, which is the normal word for world, but literally he's talking about he's going to judge the inhabited world. Oikos is the word for house. Meno is to remain. Okay, and so it's the idea of, of, of individuals remaining in that house. Okay, so this is people. This is the inhabited world that he's talking about. Okay, and he's going to judge them in righteousness, but he's going to judge them in Jesus Christ. This is a picture of Revelation 20, standing before, before the white throne judgment, where the dead, small and great, and everyone's going to be raised up, right? And they're all going to be standing there, and they're all going to be judged according to their works, right? 
I mean, there's going to be annals opened up, you know, Bob Corbin, you know, blah, 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 blah. but only those whose names are written in this one singular book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Only those whose names are written in that Lamb's Book of Life can enter into his presence. Everyone else is going to be judged and cast into the lake of fire. Judgment is coming according to the righteousness of God in, in Jesus Christ. So, God sent Jesus into the world to pay the penalty of your sins, and then he raised him from the dead to verify it. So now I get back to Anastasia and Jesus, because now he brings Jesus and Anastasia into this thing again, right? And now they have a context for Jesus and Anastasia. He's not talking about what? Two new gods. He's talking about one true God who's been at work from the beginning through the nations, doing as he chooses, doing as he wills, for the supreme purpose of, for man to understand that he wants them to know him. Not just Gnostically, and again, I don't have time for that, but salvifically, for salvation, that he wants men and women to come to him for redemption. But in order to do that, they're going to have to change the way they think. Well, what's the reaction then that comes to this? Well, it's twofold. As we would expect, some mocked. They sneered at him. <laughs> what an idiot! What an idiot! I mean, could you imagine? Again, it's not just one-on-one. If John's that agnostic, he's probably not going to say to me, you're an idiot. He might, but he, but he might not. He might be more respectful. But you get a group of people together, right? And they're going to egg each other on. You just kind of see how it goes. But some believed. Some believed. So again, I go back to where God was dealing with me about putting together those prayer videos back in 2019 and 2020. And finally in 2020, God said to me, he says, what if only one person is affected? Is it worth it? <sighs> okay, you win. It's worth it. Is it worth being laughed at, jeered at, sneered at, being called an idiot, being called a fool for people making fun of you, potentially whipping you to the point of death. If even just one would believe. What's a soul? Think about it. What is a soul worth to you? Paul went to Athens because he was wiped out. Can you imagine how physically wiped out he is standing in, in front of all these Stoics and Epicureans? But when, again, I am weak, he is made strong. And all I can do is what I've learned in life is know that it's him, not me. And I just have to stand there and open up my mouth and allow him to use me for whatever purpose he has for me at that moment. So, in the end, have you truly repented? If you're here today and you've never changed the way you thought about Christ, if you're adding him to the pantheon of your gods, if you would, in that mindset, the most important thing you could do today is change the way you think about Christ. Repent of your sins and call upon his name to save you. Do you still struggle with the influence of the cultural worldview around you? 
if every one of us were honest, we'd say yes. You do, in some manner. <clears throat> some more, some less. But we struggle with it. We're inundated with it every single day. And the more you allow social media, uh, television, all those things into your life, okay? I, I know it sounds legal, and I'm not preaching legalism. But the more you allow those things into your life, the more you're being influenced by it, okay? And so I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. So I get the fact that i got to interact with the world at times, but I have got to be careful of how much of the world I allow into my life. I don't want the world to become the chief influencer of my life. Paul spoke boldly regardless of the setting. How about you? Now, you got to understand, this is a mirror, okay? This is Bob talking to himself, the Holy Spirit talking to Bob. You just get to share in the wealth, right? So if it applies to you, let it apply to you. You know, he spoke boldly. What about you? There's a lot of times... I don't even talk to the ring doorbell, do I? John did. John was more bold than I was on Wednesday night. I'm honest. I'm let it lay where it was lay, right? I think because you were probably talking to the, the ring doorbell next door when I was ignoring the ring doorbell on my side. These ring doorbells now have the little answer machine thing. I was like, I'm done. I'm just done. I left the track and I walked away. <laughs> He's over there saying, hey, I'm from the church, and we're having, you know, and, he, and, I, and I didn't see anybody over there. That's probably when you were talking to the ring doorbell. Anyways, <laughs> you have to be bold. And like he said to me, he says, well, they won't, you can't say they, did, they ignored the message if you didn't leave the message. <laughs> I should have you stand up and preach. Anyways, <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not lying to you. I mean, I, I struggle with this stuff, man. I look for my out, okay? I had my out. I was done for the day. <laughs> Introverts moving. <laughs> so John caught me, and he held me accountable. I really appreciated it. I knew. I mean that, okay? I need to pray for boldness. Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are the God who cares so much for us that you came and died for us. Lord, I don't understand the fullness of how that sovereign... Um, actions of you work in how you established the the boundaries and the times of the of the nations lord it's just it's incredible to me but i give you the glory for it and again i don't understand how you elect and then you allow free will i don't i don't get it but i just give you the glory for it you are such a good and gracious god lord i pray that you would use us in a mighty way to put forth your message to those we come in contact with. Help each of us, Lord, to be bold, to be able to speak the truth that you have allowed us to understand, that others might be drawn to you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.